0: The word of God from Psalm 87. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon.
1: Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were
0: born in her, for the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. And all together, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.
1: I want to invite the good reverend David Wright, Rapp up here. So David is a dear friend of mine. Um, I'm so excited to have him. So David, together with his wife and his children, his wife Jennifer, they just moved to Golden. And um, so our church, come on over here. Our church is a part of um, this uh, network that plants new PCA churches in the area. And so uh, David will be planting and in about a year, he's doing all the groundwork now, um, a new church out there in that, in that region. And so we are so excited. The whole network is so excited about the RAP family. They just arrived to Colorado. He planted, what, 15 years ago, Redeemer in 14 in uh, Killeen or in Temple, Texas in Temple, Texas. And um, we're just so thankful for you, man. The whole network just loves you and cares about you. And we feel privileged to have you and share this pulpit with you. So can I pray for you? And then I'll, and then I'll leave. Father, thank you for David. Bless him. Surprise him with joy, even as he shares from your word. And um, illumine these sacred words that we would be um, earnest listeners, ready to learn and grow from you. We love you. Thank you for this time in Jesus name. Amen. All right, buddy. It's all you. Thank you all. Well, it is it is fun and a privilege
0: to be here with you all. Uh, As Ronnie mentioned, my my wife and I have uh, three older kids who are uh, they're all out of town this week, but we were all able to visit with you last week. So thank you so much. Um, You didn't know who we were, but you gave us a warm welcome and we're super friendly. So thanks for doing that. Uh, We just moved to Denver Three weeks ago, um, as Ronnie said, to begin the work towards starting a new church in uh, the Golden and Western Arvada area. So we're excited to be here. And you know, when you move somewhere, when you relocate, there's always this desire to become local, um, to inhabit the place. I always have a desire to be seen as local, to be connected to the place where I am. And, And my kids always make fun of me. You know, they say, Dad, you're local everywhere. Um, and they say it in jest because they're, they're laughing at my efforts. They know that that's kind of an, an idol of mine to be local wherever I am. Several years ago, we got to visit Europe. And you know, we'd be walking through Paris, and I'd be like, OK, let's, let's not bring the cameras out all the time. You know, Can you try not to be like, looking for directions on your phone constantly? Because we don't want to look like tourists, as if there weren't 187 other things that clearly mark this out as not being from here. Um, We've had the privilege of visiting family in Hawaii over the years and connecting with a church plant there. And, you know, I'm always wearing my board shorts and my flip-flops and trying to fit in, and my kids just laugh at me. I think it's maybe my my pinkish-white skin that marks me out as not being a sun-baked local there. How long does it take to become local in a place? You know, when we've been in Hawaii, I've thought a lot about what would it look like to live here, and how long would I have to be in this place to be local? And I think there, probably at least three generations, but probably probably never. Um, I would probably never fit in, never be seen as an insider there. And then I have this desperate longing to be local where I am. I've been listening to a Denver podcast a lot to learn some of the local f- flavor and get to know the place. And during this one episode, one of the hosts was asking one of the guests, who's an expert on something related to Denver, you know, how long have you lived there here? And this, this guest said, I've lived here five years. Like, it was an eternity. Um, and so I wonder, you know, what is the time to local, the TTL? You know, how long does it take to be to feel and be considered local. We tend to want to draw that line um, so that we're on the inside, so that we can feel like we are insiders, locals. And I think there's something in each of us, I know there is in me, this this longing to belong, this longing to be seen as a part of something, to not be seen as an outsider. Psalm 87 is actually a song about belonging through being local. It's a song about belonging through being local. So Psalm 87 is about God's love for his city, the city of Zion, and Zion is Jerusalem. uh, But more than that, it's his people. So the name actually refers to the community as much as the place. It's not just the place, it's the people, and it describes those who are included in this community who are now known as the church. And so as the church, the family of God, we get the privilege of being part of not just an awesome place, but being a part of a people who are dearly loved. God loves his people. And it's as we grasp that love of God and feel that it's actually directed towards us, that we delight in being a part of that community, and we actually, we actually want to welcome other people in. So maybe you're here this morning and you're exploring Christianity. You're investigating who Jesus is, and you wonder if there could be a place for you in the people that God loves. And the answer is yes, absolutely. Maybe um, you wonder, does Christianity have the answer to the the divide that we see, the racial brokenness and division in our country? And the answer is yes, it does. Does God welcome people who are presently right now involved in another religion or no religion at all? Does God want to welcome people whose lives and sexuality presently don't match up at all with what God describes in his word? And the answer to all these questions is yes, yes. So let's listen to this song that God wants to use to shape our dreams and our desires. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will dive into God's word. God, it is a privilege to be here, to be in your presence. And I am aware that I am the chief of sinners, that I stand here in weakness, that I am in need of your grace and your mercy. And so we ask, God, that through your word you would Unleash streams of grace and mercy. Holy Spirit, would you show us more of Jesus that we might see him as he really is, that we might be drawn to him, to rest in him, to celebrate him, and to feast together because of what he's done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the composer Joseph Hayden wrote a tune it's a well-known tune, you're probably familiar with it. It's called Austrian Hymn or Emperor's Hymn because it was the anthem of the Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire and the Austrian Empire Francis II. But it became the tune for the German national anthem. And so it was a song of of national pride. And songs like that can stir up in us loyalty and courage. We've got songs like that in our own country, don't we? We all like to be connected to a place, a place that forms our identity, a sense of who we are. You know, maybe, maybe that's based on the school that we attend or the school that we went to and we still have stickers on our cars. Maybe for some of us, it's a club that we are a part of. The more exclusive, the better. Sports teams serve to give us a sense of connecting, of being, being a part of something. They give us a, our identity And sometimes songs that we sing can create in us and confirm our sense of identity, of belonging. Well, Joseph Joseph Hayden's tune can do that. This tune was playing uh, at the beginning of the 1936 Olympics, which were held in Berlin. And when this tune was playing, Hitler and A bunch of his officers marched in to 3,000 Germans, singing the German anthem, singing Germany, Germany, above all, above all the world. And the first verse of this this song uh, became associated with the Nazi regime. Sometimes songs that create our identity, our sense of belonging, can actually lead us to exclusivity to the building up of walls, to wanting to stay separated and keep people out. And the reality is that we are separated by all kinds of different things. We can be separated by race. We can be separated by experience. We can be separated by structures. And we're separated by sin. So how are Christians, how are the people of God to relate to this separation, this division, Sometimes our natural response is to want to build up walls rather than to build bridges. We build walls because we want to protect ourselves. Sometimes our pride in our identity can actually encourage us to want to maintain separation. Even as the people of God, even as the city of God, it can be easy to think that it's all about us. It can be easy to slip into thinking that even the church is really just for us, that it exists just for those who are already on the inside. But actually, the basis of our very identity as God's people breaks down walls that separate us. So because God loves his city, because he loves it so much, when you become a citizen of that city by grace, you get the privilege of being on the welcome team. You immediately get the privilege of helping to welcome others in. So being a citizen of God's city involves three things. It involves receiving his unbelievable love. It involves embracing the city's diverse membership, and it involves joyfully drinking the life-giving water. So what do we see in Psalm 87 as we look at the city of God? First we see that it is a city that's united by God's love. And we see the magnitude of that love. Look at verse 1. It says, On the holy mount stands the city he founded, Mount Zion. So remember, that's not just a place, uh, but it's a people. It's Jerusalem. It's God's people, his community. And Mount Zion, Jerusalem was the most special place because it was where the temple was. It was where God himself met with his people. That's where his his presence dwelt. And verse 2 says, The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. So what he's saying is he loves his people. God loves his people with this great big love. His heart is fixed on them. His heart is fixed on us. Verse 3 says, glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. He delights in the city. God is saying, I love my people, my city. And it's not because of what they do for me. It's because they are mine. So we see that it's an unmerited love. Verse 1 says it's the city that he founded. God is the one uh, who created this people, and he loves them simply because they are his. And that's kind of a a resounding theme throughout the Bible. Back in in the Old Testament, in one of the early books, Deuteronomy, God is telling his people, Israel, he says this in Deuteronomy 7, uh, verses six through eight. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so God doesn't love Jerusalem. He doesn't love his people because they are so lovely, so faithful, because they make him feel so good. It's an unmerited love. But the city of God is united by that unmerited love. And the city of God, secondly, is also a city united in diversity. So Psalm 87 goes on to list all kinds of different places, these names that refer to people groups in different places. And it says this is a list of who is included in the people of God. And this list would have been shocking. It would have been really surprising and unexpected. Look at verse 4. It says, Among those who know me, I mention Rahab. That's a nickname for Egypt. The people who kept God's people in slavery for 400 years. And it mentions Babylon. Babylon was this this cruel and violent people who carried God's people away into exile, away from their home. And then Philistia. If you're familiar with the story of David and Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine. These were people who were constantly God's people's enemies. And God takes these outsiders and foreigners and makes them local. Think about, think about Texans who come up and they crowd your lift lines, and they, they drive in your bike lanes, and you're like, who are these outsiders, these foreigners? But it's much, much worse than that, because these are actually enemies of God's people who hate them, who attack them, And if Egypt and Babylon and Philistia can be included in God's people, in his city, who couldn't be included? Who could possibly be unreachable? So Psalm 87 forces us to ask very practical questions. Questions like, who would I consider inviting to my church or to a community group or just to a party? Who would I consider, and who would I expect to come? And, and how moral would they have to already be before I would think that they could possibly be a part of a group? Jim Elliott was a missionary in the 1950s to some Indians uh, in Ecuador, and he went down to this people who were known to be very violent, and he made contact, and in 1956, he... And four others were killed uh, by a river by 10 warriors. And Jim was married at the time. His wife, um, they had a daughter, a 10-month-old daughter. How would you, as, as his wife, Elizabeth, his wife, how would you respond to a people that had killed your spouse? I know that my first inclinations would be all about vengeance, wanting to burn a place down, But she actually went to these people who killed her husband in order to tell them the good news about salvation through Jesus. She went to these people who had killed her husband. Many years after Psalm 87 was written, God himself went to his city. Jesus went to Jerusalem. And he went there in order to demonstrate God's love, the magnitude of his love for his city And even though they rejected him, Jesus didn't hate Jerusalem. He actually wept over it. He shed tears over these people, and then he died for these people. Jesus loved people who rejected him, who were against him. And after he rose from the dead, he sent his disciples out, his followers. The beginning of the New Testament book of Acts, in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to his followers, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea. You're on a rescue mission to those people who killed me. So as we think about our place and our world, there are certainly aspects of culture and society that are antagonistic to Christianity. Absolutely. There are people and places that seem very hostile. But what should the attitude of God's people be towards people whose beliefs and behavior make them seem very far from the city of God. You don't get much more antagonistic to Christianity than pounding nails through the hands and feet of Christ. You don't get much more hostile than killing the Son of God. But these are the very people that Jesus loved. This is the very city that he cares about, and he sent his followers to tell them about forgiveness, to tell them how they could experience new life. So where can we seek to be building bridges instead of walls? Any of us who are part of the family of God are here because we have been welcomed in when we were outsiders, when we were foreigners, when we were even enemies and now we get to be a part of this community that's not exclusive, but welcomes all kinds of people. And that's one of the most encouraging and exciting things about the church is that in the middle of this world, which is increasingly polarized and divided and against, we get to be a part of a community that stands here welcoming all kinds of people from all kinds of places in I'm not super active on Facebook, but when we moved here, I realized that I should probably update my profile. I should probably update where I live, where I work. So I went on there to figure that out. I should also probably update the picture of my daughter who is four and now she's actually 16. So I figured, hey, I should probably take this once in a decade opportunity to update some things. when I get asked the question, where are you from, that's always a difficult question for me to answer because I've, I've lived in lots of different places. And is it the place that you've lived for the longest or most recently, or the place that you want everybody to think you're from, the place you most identify with? It's a difficult question. But Facebook asked me a much simpler question, where were you born? And when I saw that, I felt this, this kind of wave of encouragement come over me. I felt my, my idol of being local um, being fed because actually I was born in Denver. And my birth certificate and my passport and my social security number communicate that I was born here. And now I've got a Colorado driver's license and some Colorado license plates, and I might even get a 303 number. Who knows? Um, And I know I just got here, and I know I'm not really local, but I love the idea of being identified with a place. And what God does is he takes outsiders and foreigners, and by grace, he makes them local. He makes those who are on the outside and not included to be on the inside. Verse 4 says, of people who were foreigners and outsiders and enemies of his people, he says, this one was born there. Verse 5, and of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. Verse 6, the Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. Now what's going on here? Because obviously these various people weren't actually physically born in Jerusalem. They were from all over the place. But it says they know me, which to borrow language from the New Testament means that they were born again or born from above. They're citizens of the heavenly kingdom. Jerusalem, the people of God. Paul can say in the New Testament book called Galatians, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. So the image that we're getting is similar to that of adoption. And I imagine that some of you were yourselves adopted or have adopted children. And when you're adopted, you're brought into a family into which you didn't used to belong, but it's as if... You were born there. Your name has changed. Your entire identity is new. You're in a new family. And when you become a part of God's people, you get a new citizenship. And the exciting thing is that God is still at work building a city, reaching and gathering new people to be citizens. And that's always been his plan from the very beginning. The very first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12, God calls a man who at that time was called Abram and he became Abraham, but God called him and said, "'I'm gonna make you into a great nation.'" Listen to what he says. "'Now the Lord said to Abram, Abram, "'Go from your country and your kindred "'and your father's house to the land that I will show you, "'and I will make of you a great nation, "'and I will bless you and make your name great.'" Why? "'So that you will be a blessing. "'I will bless those who bless you, "'and him who dishonors you I will curse, "'and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed.'" And so God's people have always existed as a missionary people. They've always existed as God's means of bringing blessing to the world. Psalm 86, 9, the psalm right before this one says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. In the New Testament, Paul says that this is the mystery of what Jesus came to do. He says in Ephesians 3, 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so if you want to know, how do I become local here? How do I become a member of the people that God, that God loves? How do I become a citizen? The answer is through Jesus and the gospel, or the good news. Coming to Mount Zion actually means coming to Jesus. The author of the New Testament book called Hebrews says it this way in chapter 12. He says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus. Coming to Mount Zion is coming to Jesus. So the way that you become a part of God's people is through Jesus and the gospel. What would you say is your most primary identity, the thing that shapes your thinking about yourself more than anything else? Is it that you are an American? Is it that you are a Democrat or a Republican? What is it that provides you with your greatest source of solidarity with other people? A feeling connected, a feeling like you belong. If you are a Christian, or if you were to become a Christian simply by believing in Jesus as he's offered to you, then being a Christian is or would be your primary identity. More than being Latino or Asian, more than being black or white, more than being liberal or conservative, more than being a mother or a doctor, All of these are important things about your identity, but being a Christian would supersede them all. If you're a citizen in the city of God, then being a Christian is your number one primary identity. So there's only one flag that flies over the city of God, and that is the banner of King Jesus. There's only one flag that flies over the church, and that is Jesus and the gospel, which means That whether you're Ethiopian or Egyptian or English or American or Mexican, through Jesus, you become a fellow citizen in the city of God. You become local. Friends who are just exploring Christianity, you're just investigating. Welcome. On behalf of Ronnie and this church, welcome. This is a great place for you to be. And many people, as they investigate and explore Christianity, take, take a good bit of time wrestling through difficult questions, various things, and this is a great place to do that. I'm sure of that. But what you also need to know is that your time to being local doesn't have to be any longer than right now. You can be local simply by believing that Jesus died in order to give you a citizenship that you could never earn. Jesus died in order that you could be a part of his family, experience his unmerited but magnificent love. And when you do that, you don't give up your ethnicity or your race when you become a part of the people of God. You don't give up your culture. The city of God isn't monochromatic and we don't have to be colorblind. Instead, we're to delight in the cultural kaleidoscope that God is building. The diversity that he is creating in this beautiful mosaic. And we get to be a part of his ongoing work. So how can we, if you are already a citizen in the city of God, how can, how can we grow in our our sense of being interested in the spiritual welfare of the people around us. And the answer is only as we ourselves are joyfully drinking of the life-giving water. And so the city of God, finally, is a city delighting in life-giving water together. The church together is an evangelistic community. We always talk about what we most love what we're most moved by. We do it easily. If you love a sports team, it's not hard at all for you to talk about them, to sing their praises to your friends. The city of God delights in Jesus and the gospel. Verse seven says, singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. These are joyful people. They're singing, they're dancing, they're animated. And why? Because they've got something to celebrate. They've tasted the life-giving water. Psalm 46 in verse four says, "There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high." The streams of life-giving water make people glad. They bring life." In one of the Old Testament uh, prophetical books, Ezekiel, chapter 47. He's given this vision of the temple, and there is this stream of water kind of just trickling out of the temple, but as it gets farther and farther, it gets deeper and deeper until finally it is a stream that is too deep to cross, and it gives life to every living creature so that plants grow. And verse 9 says, so everything will live where the river goes. The water brings life. And then in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, we're given another picture. We're told about the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And in the last last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, we're told of the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city on both sides. And the tree of life is there, whose leaves bring healing to the nations, And so to be a citizen in God's city means that you have access to this life-giving water. It means that you get to rejoice because you have the one thing that is really able to eternally satisfy you. And where does this water come from? What's the source? Well, John in his gospel tells us in chapter 7 that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But my friends, Jesus has now been glorified, and his spirit has been poured out on his people and lives in and with his people. And those who have received, who have drank of this life-giving water, of these soul-refreshing streams, are to live lives that are characterized by joy. We're the people who are called to be channels of God's blessing, of his life, to a world that is desperately thirsty, desperately in need of refreshment. That is why the church exists. The reason that a new day dawns, that history hasn't just ended, is because King Jesus is yet at work gathering a people to himself, into his city, from all over the place. And the reason the church is here is to be his instrument of welcome. The people of God are a mercied people. Being a citizen in the people of God doesn't mean that you have it all together. It doesn't mean that you no longer struggle with sin. It means that you're drinking deeply of Jesus, that you're being satisfied by him, that you're finding your life and your primary identity in him. It means saying things like, I love my family, but it's not my life. I love my country but it's not my life. I value safety but it's not my life. I value having a healthy, good environment for my family but my life isn't found in being sheltered from contamination. My life is in Jesus. I was once on the outside but I was adopted in. I was born in the wrong place but through grace my citizenship is in the city of God the register says I was born in Zion. I was thirsty, and I was trying to fill my soul, trying to satisfy myself with all kinds of other things, but never was satisfied until until I drank of those life-giving streams, until I drank deeply of Jesus. And if he can satisfy me, then I know he can satisfy anyone. Can you imagine... What it would look like for your most antagonistic friend, for your friend who seems most hostile to Jesus and the gospel, to drink of those life-giving streams. What if we together, as the people of God, were so satisfied in Jesus that we didn't need any other primary sources of identity? What if being, being part of God's city was all that we Needed? What if it was status enough that we didn't feel like we needed any other kind of exclusive markers? What if we were so overwhelmed with God's undeserved love toward us that all we wanted to do was talk about it and share it with others and to see His city grow? Where might we have the opportunity to stop building walls and be building bridges? To love and know our neighbors, to love our city. Those who say, all my springs are in you, know that they're part of God's people by grace alone. The gospel creates this this life-giving community that is actually a, a joyful presence in the midst of a divided world that sits and welcomes other people to the feast in order to taste and see that God really is good in spite of or despite of what all their other assumptions might be. So rather than sing songs that, that build our identity and pride on exclusivity, the people of God have the privilege of singing songs that build our identity and our security in the gospel of grace. So remember that, that tune uh, that Joseph Hayden wrote, the Austrian hymn. It was, it was a tune that was used as a national song of exclusion during a time, but it's also a tune for a great song of inclusion that maybe you sing here. It's a song called Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. It was written by John Newton, who was a former slave trader, who also wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, And in Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, which is based on Psalm 87, it says, Glorious things of Thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. See the streams of living waters springing from eternal love. Well supply Thy sons and daughters and all fear of want remove. Who can faint while such a river ever flows their thirst to swage? Grace, which like the Lord the giver, never fails from age to age. And so this particular psalm And the song that's based on it serves as a reminder to the people of God who are in the family of God that the church exists to be a part of what God is doing of gathering and welcoming people from every tongue and tribe and language and nation to become local through Jesus. And so as we ourselves drink from these streams that brought us in, we have the privilege of welcoming others in as well. All kinds of people, all ki- from all kinds of places, will one day say, I was born there. And God might desire you to be a part of somebody's story. So may God be pleased to use us as a labor and delivery wing in the communities in which we find ourselves, where God is at work adopting people into his family, making outsiders local in the city of God. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your kindness toward us and your grace that welcomes us. And we pray that you would give us endurance and encouragement and enable us to live together in such harmony with one another that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. Amen.